0: Hello, and welcome to Inside ETFs, the podcast where we bring the latest and greatest ETF industry perspectives directly to you through in-depth discussions with key thought leaders from across the ETF ecosystem. I'm your host, Douglas Jonas, the head of exchange-traded products at New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. Now, today I'm joined by none other than David Laval, the global head of ETFs at Grayscale Investments. Now, if you're not familiar with Grayscale Investments, the only thing I can think of is that you've been hiding under a rock in the metaverse because Grayscale is the world's largest digital currency asset manager. Dave himself has over 20 years of experience in financial services across the broad finance industry, but particularly the world of ETFs and investing. Whether it comes to the indexing landscape, the exchange-traded product ecosystem, including extensive knowledge in indexing, building and launching ETFs, trading the capital markets, distributing investments, the list goes on and on. Dave, thank you so much for being here. Doug, it's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So prior to joining Grayscale, Dave, I want to start really at the beginning. You were the Chief Executive Officer at Elyrian, S-Network Global Indexes. I want to start long before that. I actually want to start your career when you were a trader, on the floor of the stock
1: exchange, how did you end up on the? Naturally, so I, I graduated from Georgetown University with uh, uh, a BA um, in theology, and I was pre-med. So naturally, I ended up on the floor of the American Stock Exchange, Doug trading stocks. Does that make sense? Right. That, that seems so, about um, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I took one one finance class in my senior year of college, and it sparked my interest in in finance. I had never really. Taken any finance classes, and I had a friend of a friend who, you know, had somebody down on the floor of the American Stock Exchange, and I went down there to check it out, and I was really bit by the bug. I think the energy of the floors, you know, in the late '90s, you know, internet boom going, lots of IPOs, tons of excitement. You know, you're either energized by what happens down there, or you know, you were really turned off by that energy. And fortunately for me, I had an opportunity to join a very small mom and pop a trading firm. As a trading assistant. And that's how it all started. You know,
0: for those of you listening and you you have young students like I do entering college, Dave is a bit of a life coach and he mentors quite a few people across the industry. And I think lesson learned right there from David if you think you're headed in one direction, you're worried about your student, you're worried about your college student, you can watch Dave and see his progress. He thought he was pre-med, he went to the floor of the exchange. Uh, now he's running an entire ETF franchise. So, good key moment there. I want to talk now though, Dave, about ETFs, you know, so here you are trading on the floor, you then stepped away, you had a number of different roles, but it seems like you were always in the periphery. What is it that brought you directly into the world of ETF?
1: On the floor of the American Stock Exchange, you know, I got down there and people were saying small cap equities were going to be taken over by computerized trading and automation. And you know, some of the old timers down there would, you know, would, would, would classically remind me, you know, they've been saying they're going to shut the doors in this place for the you know, past 30 years. We'll be around for the next 30 years. But there were a handful of trading crowds that were incredibly, incredibly busy. And those trading crowds were some of the index option pits and some of the internet option, kind of internet company option pits like Intel and others. And then there were these ETF pits and the ETF trading crowds were wild. They were exuberant. They were exciting. And I just knew, you know, not having a a history in, in finance necessarily, but I just knew something, something was going on there that was really going to be transformative to the market. So I started asking questions and trying to understand you know, how ETFs were constructed. Um, and being on the floor of the American Stock Exchange, which is really where ETFs came to life in the US market, I had this awesome opportunity to learn from some of the you know, most influential you know, product development teams, uh, some of the most influential trading teams and some of the most, you know, influential and and really innovative pieces of technology including the actual ETF wrapper and watching the evolution of this product, you know, come to life really on the floor uh, of the of the American Stock Exchange, you know, on the backs of a number of innovative companies, but then also you know, through the capital markets with a lot of you know small mom and pop shops that at that point in time really, really were somewhat nameless in the marketplace, Jane Street, Susquehanna. These are firms that weren't really widely recognized, but are now certainly, you know, widely accepted and 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 really some of the key fabric of making ETFs work. Yeah, I love hearing a bit about your
0: background and some of the 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 trail in which you blazed alongside others because you use you you never use that word. You always say, Oh, I was asking questions and I was following energy and smart people, but but truly blazing uh, a, a new path. And, and product development in particular, you mentioned, you know you didn't necessarily have a school background in it, but you were schooled, I guess, by the industry itself because here where you were trading and then ultimately helping develop a lot of ETFs and ultimately seeing what worked. And you know, a lot of times we can learn more from failure, what didn't work. And we saw a lot of ETFs come and go. You saw that as you were head of listings business at an exchange, now sure. here you are with an ETF franchise. Are there key suggestions that you think you would make to an advisor to say, hey, here's what I've seen, here's my history. How should you think about choosing an ETF for your clients' portfolios?
1: Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer this question in, in, in two or three different ways. First of all, the notion of I mean look you know as well as I know, we've you know probably collectively launched you know thousands of <laughs> ETFs in some different seat in one way or another. And the reality is trying to kind of predict a successful ETF based upon a strategy is an incredibly difficult thing to do. But you know, in my in my time, I've 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 seen products come to market that I thought were going to be blazing success that don't really take off immediately. And then I have products that I scratch my head when I see them come to market. And then the next thing you know, they're $250 million in six months, right? It's a very hard thing to predict. But but going back to the floor and going back to that notion of kind of asking questions it's if you are to listen to the people around you and just take others who have been in the industry for a very long time, take their word for it, whether something is a good idea or not, I would have never had the opportunity to explore not only ETFs, but also closed-end funds. And so the American Stock Exchange was a very, very large listing exchange for for closed-end funds. The New York Stock Exchange also a very large listing exchange for closed-end funds, but depending upon the size of that offering would be dependent upon whether the product went to the American Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange. And so, some of these small, you know, hundred or two hundred million dollar closed-end fund offerings were being scoffed at by a lot of the you know, trading firms down on the floor. And I decided to these made sense. And I was working with somebody who really understood them and and, and taught me how to trade them and explain the premium discount, the arbitrage opportunity. And I was this unique, came into the marketplace at a very unique time, which was when we were kind of converting to thinking about things in a more structured manner or a more rules-based manner. So taking advantage of what were really exotic tools at that point in time, like an Excel spreadsheet to kind of manage premium and discounts and linking Excel spreadsheets to Bloomberg's and Doing some things that didn't make a lot of sense to some of the old timers down there. But when you were clipping these coupons of, you know, a thousand or two thousand or five thousand or ten thousand dollars a day and trading, you know, profits with, with really managing your risk effectively, it started to make sense to people. And so my entree into ETFs was really through paying very close attention to how closed-end funds were being traded, the premiums and discounts associated with them. And and then when I started to learn about ETFs and and recognize that wait a minute ETFs are just a better wrapper this this frustration that clients had with perpetuating pre, you know premiums or perpetuating discounts in closed end funds really didn't didn't make a lot of sense to 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 me and frustrated clients but wait the ETF really solved for this and so for the first time in my career I had conviction about a product because I was like wait a minute this actually makes sense to me and clients are going to really gravitate towards this and I think I should pay attention to this for, for, for that purpose. And so when your, your, your specific question was around product development, and, and I'm answering it in the broader sense of why ETFs work, because they make sense and that clients are going to want them. And so as I'm thinking about you know, more precise product development or more precise products that are coming to market, again, I would use the same principle. Does it make sense? And is there a client demand for it? And, and you have to listen to the end client, you know, in my perspective, and merge that with the intelligence that you have as an issuer or as an advisor, right, or as a member of the marketplace or an investor. And so I constantly am challenging myself and challenging my team and challenging the organizations that I've been part of is like, challenge yourself to put yourself into the client's shoes, get into their mindset, what problems do they need to solve and what's going to make sense, And so that's the way I would answer the question. Yeah, it's such a
0: great varied point that you're making there, right? Which is there's so many reasons why someone might love a particular ETF. It might be that that's a perfect core holding for an advisor's portfolio. It could be that it's a perfect satellite holding. It could be, frankly, that it is just exciting. And it is a reason that an advisor's client looks at them and says, hey, you're adding value to me by bringing me a unique and innovative idea. And by the way, it's in a tax-efficient vehicle. It's in a vehicle that has lots of liquidity. It's in a vehicle that tends to be a lot lower cost. So you get these sort of win-win-win pieces all along with, with uh, you know, something an advisor can put in a portfolio without, without sacrificing really anything. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of investors really love the, the net benefit. I, I want to stay, though, on a moment with trading, if I could, because you're talking about sure. all your background in trading. And for years, the ETF industry has struggled with, against something, and that's this idea of average daily volume. You know, it, 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 you know we've said average daily volume doesn't matter for ETFs, but, but yet that's been said for decades now, and advisors still look at average daily volume. If, if that's not what an advisor should look like for liquidity or uh, as the measure of liquidity, how should they think about trading liquidity and trading their overall ETF portfolio?
1: It, it's funny, Doug. I've probably spent the past eleven years talking about this concept, and it's actually fabulous because throughout that time, you know, evangelists like yourself and myself around you know issues around kind of ETF capital markets and ETF trading and understand liquidity and total cost of ownership and all these concepts of like how to have best practices for, for for trading. We've had this conversation with clients. You know, small mom and pop investors, you know, Jane Q Public from Topeka, Kansas, all the way up to the largest, you know, institutional investors, you know, frankly, in the world. And we've evangelized the use case for ETFs. And ultimately, all roads lead back to the notion of creation redemption, and all roads lead back to the notion of how you really define an ETF's liquidity, and all roads lead back to. You know, the capital markets and 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 how people are managing their risk and therefore able to provide and you know essentially create liquidity for, for investors to have a high quality experience. And the way that I you know always like to think about this is to ensure you're utilizing the resources that are in the marketplace. 11 or 12 years ago, there were individuals that were beating the drum and running around and saying, just trust me, this is the way it works. But now there's a ton of resource. There's resources at your issuers, there are resources at your exchanges, there's resources at these trading firms. There's lots of you know, really well-established you know, media resources that have talked about this and really kind of debunked the myths around just looking at the average daily trading volume. And so I think you need to take a holistic view when you're assessing the liquidity profile of an ETF. Average daily volume is certainly one way to take a look at it, but really understanding the liquidity of each one of those underlying constituents, each one of those building blocks of the ETF is really the best way to ensure that you're understanding the liquidity profile of that product. And you just can't rush to a conclusion that the ETF's average daily volume is is going to be a definitive measurement of its underlying liquidity. And so... Just use the resources that are in the marketplace. Talk to that issuer. If you call the issuer, and the issuer doesn't have a good answer to that, that's a really you know interesting kind of red flag about the resources that an ETF issuer can you know you know can offer you as a client. I say that someone in jest because every ETF issuer that I know of is equipped to have that conversation. Um, but if they are not, you know, it's certainly something to kind of scratch your head about before making an investment all etfs are not created equally you know all the etf issuers excuse me issuers are not created equally and so you know making sure you're kind of you know going through a holistic review and a holistic assessment is what's going to put you in a good position to have a high quality experience so, Dave. Prior to joining
0: Grayscale, here you were. You were the CEO of Alirian uh, Advisors. May or may not be as familiar with Elyrian. across the ETF industry. Very well known. Uh, Elyrian has a terrific track record. Big name. They're they're behind some of the the world's you know some some of the world's largest ETFs. What is it that that drew you to, as I like to call it, the crypto side of the financial industry?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's a question over the past year or so that I've well, it's been about six months at at at, at Grayscale. A lot of people have asked me that question, and honestly, it was an opportunity I had to say yes to. Um, I certainly uh, was challenged with with you know the business that I was building at Alarion, and and we were doing some really cool things organically and inorganically. But the opportunity to kind of merge what I would call myself is kind of like an ETF brain you know, and someone who's been in the industry for, for quite a long time and had very unique perspective in and around the ETF industry that, that, that you, you know, articulated earlier in the pod here with the absolute leader in digital assets, the largest digital asset manager in the world, which is a portfolio company of Digital Currency Group, which is an absolute leader in all things digital assets, whether it's, you know, mining or trading or indexing or asset management. It, it was something I had to say yes to. And the feeling that I had was the same feeling I had in, you know, the late 90s. And, and Doug, you, you, you remember this feeling of like, wait a minute, like this internet thing is very, very interesting. And it's kind of hard to think about that. We're going to be doing all of our like buying of, of, of goods on this internet thing. Like what? Wow. That's really intriguing. The difference is, is that I have 20 years of perspective you know, in my career and on Wall Street to say, okay, no, I need to jump into this and I need to get smart on this. And I want to merge this kind of expertise in ETS with this expertise in digital asset, you know, management, and and we're going to do something really cool together. Thanks for reminding me of my age, and
0: and that you and I are dinosaurs. We we were alive and well, and 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 working at a time when the internet didn't exist. So true story. Uh, okay, so you switch over. You you go from a fantastic firm that that by all means was 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 very int- entrepreneurial already. And then here you are on the, as I called it, the crypto side at Grayscale. Have you been a part of something? Have you seen something at Grayscale, whether it be as a company, as a team, where you thought to yourself, boy, that's really different?
1: I, I think that there's, the, yes, the answer is absolutely yes. And some of, some of it is really Grayscale specific from a culture perspective that is different and, and very rewarding, very energizing but some of it is kind of, you know, crypto industry specific and I think that's more of what you're what you're thinking about the pace of information and the pace of things changing is so rapid and the ways in which information is kind of shared is more so through the world of Twitter than it is through you know, the world of kind of what I would call like traditional media and so adapting my process to ensure that I'm remaining as close to the cutting edge of of what's happening in the marketplace has been something that I think is really you know really kind of eye-opening and a little bit different and you know with all the meme stocks last year and some of the other things that that we went through in terms of like the power of the retail investor and all of that that I think at least for me was a, a little bit a little bit shocking at the moment um, feeling like I'm kind of inside that universe that is is kind of moving the markets and and you know moving the attitudes of investors is something that I have to be um, you know very unique in terms of my experience in my career and, and also very eye opening and back to the earlier point that I was making informing how I'm thinking about what does the investor want what problem do we need to solve and traditional roads to creating products or you know whether it's an ETF or, or any other offering is something that has been eye-opening so that so that we're making sure that we're taking into the entirety of you know the investor base. It used to be that you're focused on the largest institutional investors and who can move the most money and you know who can put the biggest seed into a product. And the truth of the matter is if you're not paying attention to that entirety of the spectrum of investor, you're you're going to sell yourself short. You
0: know, you mentioned a number of different pieces there, Dave, and I often think about you joining the Grayscale team as as an example of one plus one equals three. You know, the the New York Stock Exchange, we've known Michael Sonnenschein, we've known the Grayscale team for many years. Time and time again, his predictions have come true. Time and time again, that team has continued to to meet and exceed every stated goal for themselves, building a lot of different non exchange traded vehicles for investors and and hence why Grayscale is now the largest asset manager in the world when it comes to digital assets. So here they have all this success then then why ETFs, you know, why ETFs now?
1: Because it makes sense. Right? I'll go back to, you know, in in and, and frankly it was the plan all along, which is hard to imagine that it, I saw a a a deck from 2013 that talked about why GBTC was going to be created in the structure that it was going to be created, because you know, the founder of Digital Currency Group, Barry Silbert, presented Bitcoin and presented Bitcoin as a store of value and something that was going to be components of investors' portfolios and were going to need to be plugged in as building blocks, similar to other ETFs um, and other commodity-based ETFs, like you know, GLD or SLV or others. And so the game plan, the goal was to create a 33-act grantor trust, Delaware grantor trust structure, and to start this product as a private placement, to let it season long enough. And once it was seasoned long enough to allow it to be publicly quoted uh, on the over-the-counter markets, and then to ultimately become an SEC-registered company, And then that fourth phase of our product life cycle is to become an ETF. And so all along, the game plan has been to bring innovative products to market where there's demand for clients that they don't have access to in other forms and make it transparent, make it easily accessible. And and that's what the game plan has been all along. This, This is the same exact story, Doug, that we have seen in the evolution of ETFs for a very long time. You know, I always say, and you know, and it's a little bit of a, of a, I say it a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's true. S&P 500 exposure with a market cap weight was incredibly exotic in the early 90s, in the form of a single product. Now it's plain vanilla ETF in the form of SPY or IVV or VOO. But international equities, and then you know, commodities, and then frontier markets, and you know, factor investing, and in and, inverse and, and leverage, and all these innovations that have happened have really been the same story. Let's bring something to market that has been accessible by a small slice of the investor base. Let's make it in a wrapper that will allow for ubiquitous availability. And that's what we're doing here. It
0: just happens to be digital assets. So the evolution of innovation continues. Here we are. You launched a brand new ETF this week, the Future of Finance ETF, ticker symbol is GFOF. Why was this the right ETF to launch the grayscale business of BTFs with? Yeah,
1: grayscale future of finance. You know, it makes all the sense in the world to us. This is again taking advantage of us being a crypto native company, the world's largest digital, you know, currency asset manager. We have been at the forefront of that innovation in the digital currency ecosystem since 2013 and we continue to be committed to providing access to kind of future forward investment opportunities and you know, we've always been committed to, you know, bringing ETFs to market. So, the the you know us announcing and launching this product this week, um, GFoF, the Grayscale Future of Finance, is you know going to be the perfect opportunity to offer investors exposure to companies that are really at the intersection of finance and technology and digital assets. This is this is not just another blockchain equity replication product. It's so much more than that. And it's you know, talking about the companies that are really building the digital economy and that we really believe represent the future of finance. And bringing this to market in the battle-tested ETF wrapper is really the perfect ETF for us to bring to market as our, as our, as our first.
0: If we stay on that, uh, you know, could you dig a little deeper? What is it you mean when you say future of finance? I know you said intersection of new things, but, but future of finance,
1: what, is, what does that mean? So look, we believe that digital assets are going to become a core part of the global financial system. And we believe that you know, the notion of this ever evolving kind of digital ecosystem is is really something that investors should be, you know, interested in in capturing. And, you know, Simply put, the digital economy is that intersection of technology and finance that's increasingly defined by a digital or virtual space or experience or transaction. And so that's what we think the future of finance really is going to be. Is digital assets going to be a portion of it? Absolutely. But that technology evolution and the kind of financial foundations that it's going to kind of you know intersect with is, is going to be is going to be really critical. And, and we believe the most exciting thing about the digital economy is the fact that we're still in the early stages of it and it's still developing, which makes it kind of a once in a generation investment opportunity that you really should capture. Really, really exciting times. Glad to be kicking off the grayscale
0: ETF business. Dave, we're at the beginning of 2022. There is absolutely no shortage of headlines that can create volatility or concern for an advisor that's preparing to allocate their portfolios this year. What what suggestions do you have for them?
1: You know, that's a really, really challenging question to answer. And it's something that, you know, I've grappled with in my career at the beginning of each and every year. And so what I say is okay, like what are the themes that are going to really be driving you know the overall ETF market? Which one of those themes is something that I need to pay attention to or that I, you know, don't need to prioritize? And I think one of the things that's really, really important is when you're answering this question for me is about is about discipline um, and about really identifying what's important to your franchise and what you're going to deliver to your franchise as an advisor. You know, so so for us. You know, Remaining disciplined and focused on ensuring that we're at the bleeding edge of you know investment management and investment opportunities in the digital asset space and making sure that we're focusing on the right coins and what are we going to bring to market in the ETF structure, what are we going to bring to market in our kind of private placement structure and remaining disciplined to that so that we don't stray too far away from our core offering. Um, is what drives the kind of philosophy of how I think about that. But if you kind of go down one more level to an investment advisor that's looking to make allocations to you know their clients' portfolios, it's ensuring that there's a healthy balance between what's going to be in the core, what's going to be a tactical allocation, and what's going to be a little bit of a reach. And when I talk about what's going to be a little bit of a reach, it's something that's a little bit outside their comfort zone, perhaps. But in my opinion, it's ensuring that you're educating yourself about you know what's happening in the digital economy, what's happening with digital assets is the right time to, you know, you know, take a serious allocation into it. You might not have the opportunity to be investing in individual coins. There might be, you know, structural or compliance related limitations to that. There are products out there that fit, you know, investment objectives and there are products out there that fit your, you know, your structure to be able to invest in that are publicly quoted and that are out in the marketplace. And so not turning a blind eye to it, I think for a long time you could ignore it what's happened in 20 and then 21 in the digital asset space and some of the growth, look, you have to pay attention to it. And 22 is going to be the year that I think advisors, you really can't turn a blind eye to it. Because if they turn a blind eye to it, they're going to lose assets. And you
0: know that could be a real problem for them. Yeah, absolutely. Something we do not want to see in the asset management business, of course. No, uh, no. For anyone that hasn't actually met Dave in person, he physically looks like he is an ultra marathon runner. So you will be shocked to know he is an avid connoisseur of both coffees as well as sweet treats in and around New York City. He's actually known in my household as the ice cream and cookie guy, uh, affectionately for my children. Dave, uh, right now, because I know you won't have a top very first, but could you give us your, your maybe favorite destination for the moment for both coffees as well as maybe cookies in and around New York city?
1: So there's a plate, there's a <laughs> Doug, you're, you're hilarious. Um, e- there have been, I've been called a lot worse than the, 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 the cookie and ice cream guy in my life, by the way. So I appreciate that's what's going on in the Jonas household. In my my At the moment, there's a place called Culture Espresso. There's a couple of locations. They're, you know, 36th street and 38th street, East side, West side. And that place has incredible cookies. Everybody talks about their, uh, their chocolate chip cookie, but I happen to, think, which is by the way, it's, it's amazing. Um, but I happen to think the, the oatmeal raisin cookie is really the standout there. So that's, that, that's the spot that I would send people uh, for, for, for a really good cookie. And That's that's the spot today because
0: that that will, of course, change over time. If you're not following David Laval on LinkedIn, please do so. You'll be able to capture all of the latest on the happenings of Grayscale, his new ETF, GFOF, and maybe you can send him a private message if you're in New York City and ask where you should go to get the top coffee or the top ice cream in New York City. That is a wrap on this edition of the Inside ETFs podcast. As a reminder, you can find this episode as well as many other episodes of this podcast on the New York Stock Exchange's website, homeofetfs.com. Thank you, Dave, for being here to share your insights. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes featuring thought leaders from across the ETF ecosystem. I am Douglas Jonas, the head of exchange-traded funds at the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs.